Well, I'm going to go ahead and invite you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 20. We are almost at the end of John's Gospel. I know some of you thought we would never get there. So we're only taking one verse this morning. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, We're looking at verses chapter 20, uh, verses 1 to 18 this morning, this great resurrection account with Mary Magdalene. So give your attention to the reading of God's Word this morning for His glory uh, and for our edification. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. Though as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever. Uh, This is a passage we are used to hearing at Easter. Uh, A lot of pastors build their preaching schedule around landing at this passage or ones like it on Easter I just want to say, no Sunday is untimely to dwell at the empty tomb and think about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Uh, The passage this morning is about encountering the risen Christ. 
I want to say three things about that encounter. One is that it happens in the darkness. Two is that it's experienced through his word. And three, uh, it challenges our expectations. So an encounter with the risen Christ happens in the darkness, is experienced through Jesus' word, and challenges our expectations. It's the first day of the week. It's the third day after the resurrection. Mary Magdalene is headed to the tomb, and John tells us it was still dark. So there are lots of literary details in John that are often full of significance. I think this is probably one of them. There are others in this passage we won't have time to touch on. But it was still dark. Uh, we're still under the darkness of the cross, the darkness of the death of the Son of God, the darkness of his suffering and humiliation that we looked at last time. Uh, and it's not just dark outside physically, it's also dark inside of Mary. She had hopes and dreams of what Jesus would do, what he would do as king, what he would do for his people. And when Jesus died, those hopes and dreams died also. Uh, higher hopes for Mary's Lord than having him be crucified on a Roman cross. Uh, so Mary is under darkness. She's in the dark, and this is where a lot of people are in darkness. I'm not just talking about people who aren't walking with the Lord. I'm talking about people who follow him. Uh, the darkness of hopelessness and despair can be real for them, too. Sometimes we just feel like Jesus is dead as if he's not alive or coming back, as if there is no hope. If you want to know where you're likely to encounter the risen Christ, it's not where you are living your best life. That's what we want. We want life to get better and better, and then Jesus kind of shows up to be the icing on our cake. We meet Jesus when we think all hope is gone. We meet him in the depth of despair. We meet him at the end of the road and in the darkness. So Mary's also in the dark in the sense that she can't grasp what has actually happened. So she's on her way to the tomb to mourn and sit shiva. We, uh, when she sees the empty tomb, she comes to this conclusion they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. We are so familiar with the resurrection story, we need to remember that no one was actually expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. What is obvious to us now, after 2,000 years of history, was not obvious to those who knew Jesus personally, who were in his inner circle, and who probably knew the scriptures better than we do. Or maybe it's not actually obvious to us. I like the person who described the resurrection this way. It is more hope than we can handle. It is so much hope that it is right in front of Mary, and she can't 
see it. She can't process it. She can't understand it yet. I wonder if this doesn't describe most of us most of the time. We feel hopeless. But the truth is, there's more hope than we can handle. And it's right in front of us. We just can't process it yet. So Mary runs back in her despair to Peter and to the beloved disciple. They run to the tomb. The beloved disciple gets there first, but Peter, always the impetuous one, enters into the tomb first. And what they see in verses 5 to 7 uh, is the linen cloth still lying there neatly. Now, if you think back to chapter 11, when Lazarus emerged from the tomb... He was still wrapped and caught up in all of his burial linens. John tells us his hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus actually has to command the disciples, command people to go finish unwrapping him. And so I think that we are supposed to feel in some kind of implicit contrast here between what has happened to Jesus and what happened to Lazarus, uh, which one commentator put this way. I thought this was handy. Lazarus was raised to life again. Jesus was raised to life anew. Uh, There's something about these linens perhaps lying there undisturbed as if Jesus may be passed through them like he will the door of the upper room in the next chapter. That John tells us the beloved disciple saw it and believed. Even though they were not yet seeing the scripture had already spoken of this thing. But not Mary, who is in the darkness. Mary is weeping outside of the tomb. This is what we read in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside of the tomb. These are the tears of a person who after the crucifixion of Jesus thought their heart could not be any more broken only to discover more sadness. She saw the empty tomb. She saw the missing body of the Lord and it was impossible for her to hold back the tears anymore. So she peers in and she sees the two angels who ask her, why are you weeping? And she says, they have taken away my Lord and I don't know where he is. Uh, I think we are supposed to be surprised by Mary's indifferent reaction to the angels. Her failure to be stunned by what she sees, the darkness of her grief and misunderstanding. You see, the irony is that it's not Mary who is stunned at the angels. It is the angels who are stunned at Mary. It is not Mary who is amazed. It's the angels who are amazed that there would be grief and tears at the empty tomb, which is why they are asking, woman, why are you weeping? From the perspective of heaven, nothing is more incongruous than weeping 
at the empty tomb. Bruce Milne puts it this way, the empty tomb is the only place in the whole world where it is good news to say Christ is not here. It's not an absent Christ. It's a present Christ inside the tomb that would be a cause for weeping. Mary turns around and sees Jesus. She doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener, that he's moved the body. He asks her very gently, I I think this is kind of an invitation, why are you weeping and whom are you seeking? He's drawing her out so that she will see that it is him. She repeats her previous comment, uh, basically saying, are you the guy who's guilty for moving the body? Let me do something with it. All Mary wants at this point is the dead body of her Lord. The failure, uh, it's interesting, the failure to immediately recognize Jesus is kind of a common feature in the resurrection narratives. Uh, The two disciples on the Emmaus Road uh, walked and talked with Jesus. They didn't recognize him until the breaking of bread. Um, There are others, uh, we'll see in John chapter 21, Uh, when it took the great catch of fish along the Sea of Tiberias before John would say to Peter, it is the Lord. Uh, So this is kind of a common thing. What needs to happen in order for Mary to have her eyes opened? When will Mary see this is actually Jesus standing right in front of her? Well, in verse 16, he says, Mary, as surely he had done many times before. And it's the voice of Jesus saying her name that creates instant recognition. And Mary cries out, as she had done, I'm sure many times before, uh, Rabboni, which means my teacher. Uh, What was it that convinced Mary of the resurrection of Christ? Think about this. What was it that convinced Mary of the resurrection of Christ? It was not a historical fact all by itself. It was not the empty tomb from which Mary only concluded the body had been stolen. It was not the angels whom Mary in her grief didn't even notice. It was not even seeing Jesus himself because she thought he was the gardener. What convinced Mary was an encounter with the voice of the living Jesus calling her by name. And I don't think John wants us to miss the connection to the Good Shepherd narrative back in chapter 10. The Good Shepherd calls his own by name, and the sheep hear his voice, they listen to him, and they follow him. So, understand, Mary did not reason her way to the resurrected Christ. She didn't pick up a copy of Josh McDowell's evidence that demands a verdict and sort it all out. She doesn't put it together on her own. It's the word of Jesus calling her. He calls her by name and he opens her eyes. I think this is an important point for us as disciples to know uh, that we don't need to physically see the empty tomb We don't need to physically stand face to face with the risen Jesus in order to believe. What we need is for the good shepherd 
to call our name. We need to hear His voice. Again, I'm just expressing my concern uh, over how many Christians are giving more time to other voices and being discipled by other voices uh, online, on the news, uh, than Jesus' own voice. It is the voice of Jesus uh, that we need. And that voice is just as powerfully present today in the Scriptures and in the preaching of the Word as it was 2,000 years ago when he himself called Mary by name. So, an encounter with the risen Christ happens in the darkness. And, and it is experienced through Jesus' Word. But here's the other thing. It challenges our expectations. Mary instinctually goes to hug Jesus. Now, isn't that the most natural thing in the world? If you love Jesus and you think that he has died and all of a sudden you realize that he's standing before you, it would be weird if Mary did not seek to embrace him. But Jesus' response is, do not cling to me. Don't cling to to me. Uh, I don't think we like this part of the story. Here's how I think we would like it to go. Uh, Mary hugs Jesus, and Jesus gives Mary a big hug. And they weep together, and they laugh together, and then Jesus says to Mary, go get the disciples. We're going to have a party, even bigger than the one that we had after Lazarus was raised, because I'm back, and I've defeated death. Wouldn't that be a great way for the story to happen? Why would Jesus say, don't cling to me? How could it be wrong to cling to Christ? Well, I think the next phrase helps us figure out what Jesus is doing. He says, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. In light of Jesus' resurrection and ascension, there's going to be a new way of clinging to Jesus. Jesus is alive, but what Mary wants is to go back to the way that things used to be. The way things were for the last several years of her life with Jesus. Don't we all just want to pick a time and go back to the way things used to be? That's what Mary is thinking. I've got my teacher back. That old relationship that I, restore, that I miss has been restored. Uh, and now we're going back to the way things used to be. The whole point of the resurrection is that it actually brings something new. God has done something in the resurrection which is bringing an entirely new relationship with Jesus and with the Father. You see that in the commission that Jesus gives to Mary in verse 17. He says, Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Uh, Jesus is emphasizing this new shared relationship. The resurrection of Jesus means the disciples have a new relationship with him, their brother, and with 
the Father who is their Father and their God. A new, deeper connection by which sinners can call a Savior their brother and their God their own dear Father. Because of what Jesus has done in the cross and the resurrection, we enter into kinship with Him and kinship with His Father. John chapter 1, verse 12, all the way back at the beginning of John, to all who received Him, to all who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. So really, what Mary wants to do in this moment is cling to the human connection that she has always had with Jesus. But the resurrection is not about things going back to the way they used to be. The resurrection is actually an admonishment not to hold on to the way that things used to be. Not to hold on to the new life. Because the good news is there is new life and fullness of life that is available now in this world and the next. What matters is not Mary's old relationship with her teacher. What matters is her new relationship with her risen Lord who is going to the Father. Uh, Okay, last comments here. Uh, Jesus commissions Mary to tell the disciples. Uh, Note he doesn't say, Mary, go get the men. I've got something to tell the men. We need a cigar, smoke-filled room with a poker table. I got something to tell them. Jesus says to Mary, you go tell the men something. The men, remember, are at home, mostly scared and afraid, as we'll see in the next chapter. He says, Mary, go tell them the news. I am alive and ascending to my Father. And Mary goes and she says, I have seen the Lord. She is the evangelist to the evangelists. She is the apostle, the sent one to the apostles. Uh, So you've probably heard it said that if you were going to make up this story, uh, the story of the resurrection, you probably would not have the disciples learn the news of the resurrection through the testimony of a woman. Uh, And the reason that you've probably heard that said before is because I think it's right. I think it's true. Celsus Uh, One of the uh, earliest uh, critics of Christianity penned one of the earliest attacks on Christianity, mocked the gospel stories because they included the testimony of, quote, hysterical females. You see what Jesus is doing. He's affirming the full dignity of women and the vital value of their witness in a world that did not. Uh, And I think part of the good news is that the resurrected Christ reaches out with this new relationship to the people who get ignored, to the people who are invisible, to the people who are on the margins. This is the kind of people that Jesus gathers, and this is the kind of people that Jesus commissions. So Mary says, I have seen the Lord. Uh, Again, it's interesting. She saw the empty tomb. She saw the linen cloths, she saw the angels, she saw Jesus himself, but she was still weeping. Now she proclaims with joy, I have seen the Lord. And what changed 
was an encounter with the risen Christ. Meeting the risen Christ transformed Mary from weeping to testifying because he called her name and brought her out of darkness into a whole new relationship and life with him. Uh, That's still what Jesus is doing today. It's still what Jesus is doing even this morning. Uh, I like this comment that I read. The question is not, do you believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead? That's actually not the question. Do you believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead? Uh, The question is, have you encountered the risen Christ? Uh, Now, you have to believe that he's been raised uh, from the dead, but it starts here. It starts with actually encountering the risen Christ. Uh, Maybe this morning you're in a dark place where Jesus is bringing more hope than you can handle. So much hope, you can't even see it yet. Uh, You need to listen to his voice. You need to listen to his word. And you need to cling to him, not by holding on to your old life, but by trusting the one who has brought you into a new relationship with him and with the Father through his death and his resurrection. Amen? Let's pray together.